Today in the Garage, we present part two of our special two-part series on cloud computing for automotive with our special guest, Stefano Marzani from AWS. In part one of our conversation, we talked about data and compute aspects of cloud computing. In today's episode, we continue the conversation and talk about prototyping, data analytics and AI, and ADAS and autonomous applications of the cloud. Let's continue our conversation with Stefano Marzani from AWS. Let's go. That's a perfect segue actually to our third topic, which is prototyping. And we were talking, as I mentioned, we were talking with Robert Day recently, and ARM is seeing ARM architecture being adopted across a wide range of subsystems in the car. And I, you know, I'm proud to have worked in ARM for 14 years, so it's a little close to my heart. But Robert was talking a lot about that. But I think that also means, and I think this is one of your points, that Graviton being in the cloud, having ARM-based instances in the cloud, as well as ARM-based instances in the car, unlocks some really interesting potential capabilities for yes. prototyping. Absolutely, yes. It's, uh, if we call it environmental parity. Right, uh, we, we started this uh, to use this term in a Dev Summit conference uh, in 2021, uh, ARM Dev Summit conference in a workshop that we presented that have quite an important diffusion and visibility out there because uh, it was the first time we were presenting this concept. Why can't we use ARM architectures in cloud to run the same software that runs in the same ARM architecture, if you will, in the cars, right? Same ARM architecture, not same processors. We have no idea. We have no intention to put a graviton in a car, right? It's really uh, cars ECUs that are coming from a variety of uh, suppliers out there like uh, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, NXP. Uh, all these are based on ARM cores. And again, the ARM core there is exactly the same ARM core that we have in graviton, right? Uh, in terms of ARM64. Of course, it's not the same really mm, CPU, because in our Graviton is based on Neoverse architecture, while frequent in vehicles you have Cortex. But the big bulk of the instruction set is the same. That's the reason why we can load. And after we had this idea, we did it. So now we have a, a huge variety of embedded operating system that traditionally just worked in emulated scenarios or physical hardware, right? that are running natively in AWS Cloud on Graviton. Systems like uh, QNX, Vixworks, uh, Yocto Linux, AGL. And for embedded developers is a new way to develop. We are seeing uh, an incredible uh, response, you know, for uh, even a surprise, if you will, right? Saying, no, wait, it's, uh, I'm just launching this, uh, this process in, in the cloud and they have uh, a QNX prompt in front of me. Like, like I'm using an ECU kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly what we mean with environmental parity. You can start your work there. You need hardware anyway, but not to start the development. That's a huge bottleneck for the sector right now. That's important in your prototyping perspective, right? You can uh, use low-down innovation if you always require developers and better developers to have an hardware to work. Right. Because well, there's no hardware that well, can satisfy the demand. Sure, and from a from a testing perspective, regression testing. Absolutely. I mean, we we mentioned this on an earlier episode that you know we've started to do our own testing in a cloud-based way yes. as well. So instead of having a rack after rack of systems that you sort of remotely power cycle, yes. you can use virtual instances and and EC2. Absolutely. And, and so we're doing that as well. We see that we see that benefit, and we're we're doing a lot with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a huge advantage again uh, for developers. 
and for the validation phase, right? Think about that still nowadays, the car is literally a system that is not, uh, you know, tested deeply. It's uh, because uh, this is for historical reasons. Again, I, we were telling at the beginning of the episode that the car is undergoing this deep transformation from uh, a system composed by 150 plus ECUs in a modern uh, combustion engine vehicle to a lot less, let's say 30, 40, with uh, consolidated computers. You will still have your uh, microcontroller-based uh, peripheral units for sensing or actuating, but the big compute will be done by consolidated architectures with multiple ARM cores in there, 8, 12, 16, 40, right, in super-consolidated architectures. And uh, that's super important, right? It's a super important trend. And you can't expect developers to have these units on their desk to work. You have to offer them an environment, a cloud-native environment, for the reason we already saw because we have the data there, we have compute options there, we have Graviton there. So that's the natural environment where developers can go, find their tools, work, deploy on the hardware, and continue the test on the hardware, but not vice versa. Because if you start with the hardware, you just kill the innovation. You know, it's ex in the SDV, it's expected to triple the quantity of code in the next five years from 100 million to 300 million, according to some analysts. How can you get to there if you still expect developers to have an hardware to work and produce automotive code? Well, it's an incredible number. I hadn't heard that statistic triple over the next uh, three years. Five years. Five years, that's incredible. You know, I was thinking, I feel like there's a virtuous cycle as well, because we talked in an earlier episode about consolidation of workloads, and you mentioned a minute ago. And I think, and we also talked about the importance of virtualization yes. and having the ability to run these applications side by side and yet not interfere with each other. It feels to me like that's quite synergistic with this cloud pro prototyping approach as well, virtualization, yes. because you can take those same workloads that you've tried there and now they can coexist side by side. And it's a very much more similar, as you said, environmental parity, as you like to talk about approach. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, again, if you think about it, when you start to have uh, 16, 12, 16 cores, you don't use all of them for a single operating system. It means that you need to partition these cores and uh, run multiple operating systems. But uh, this is exactly what we do in cloud. We have an hypervisor that manages on 64 cores on a Graviton processor, multiple OSs, right? It's exactly the same. It's uh, different, of course, in terms of electronic qualification, many, many other things. But uh, from the software engineering perspective, we can do things in a way that yeah. the two environments are very close. It's almost, so it's almost proving out how it will exist in the final implementation in the prototyping testing phase. It's yeah. very interesting. It's, a, it's something that I find very fascinating, technically fascinating, and I think also very powerful as a tool and, and development. And you know, we're seeing, and we talked before uh, years ago about the shift left idea yes. of how can we use uh, virtual prototyping, how can we use uh, cloud and so on to accelerate the design cycle. And we're seeing, and we talked about this in, our, in one of our recent episodes as well, this pressure on the yes. design cycle to design faster. And I think the competitive landscape for OEMs and tier yes. ones is getting harder. Yes. And if these things can compress that design cycle, it can make people more competitive, save yes. cost, and really, I guess, manage the, the sheer complexity. As you talked about this number of software lines going up, you have to get your hands around that. And I think you have to divide and conquer yes. to make that uh, work. Otherwise, if you think about it as a giant monolithic system, it's impossible to verify. Absolutely, and uh, there are other advantages as well. So shift left for sure, increase in uh, code quality because you can test, you scale out tests more, 
So and that's absolutely very, very important. Think about that in the automotive industry still nowadays. We have 40, 40 50 billions lost every year for recalls. 70% are due to software fault. 70% of the recall cases. So you think about that's, that's poor quality. Can we say that? Yeah. Right? Well, and, and think, testing. Absolutely. It's not shift left. Yeah. Right? So shifting left, decrease the cost, increase quality. But uh, I'd like to think about final users as well. Because what we are seeing is, if you do not have all these issues to send around to develop, you can enable collaboration in the cloud. And this is super important. In fact, one surprising thing of SDV, it's, uh, we discussed about AWSAV. Uh, services that are based on telematics, telematic services. We see a huge increase in HMI development in cloud, human-machine interaction, user interface, user experience. And uh, that's to me, is fantastic. And uh, you immediately realize why. Because for the first time, you have a virtual ECU in the cloud that presents a user interface in the browser. Immediately, I can show it to all my collaboration network around the globe, because the cloud is a, has a global presence. So I can ask uh, to a colleague in Japan or to a colleague in uh, South Africa, what do you think about my new user interface according to your local taste? Sure. Or can you adapt it? Sure. Or can you work on it? Or localization. Localization. Languages. It's literally a revolution in the way you do HMI systems. Mm -hmm. If you think about uh, not having this hardware to go all around, but have a cloud native cloud-first, as we say, approach to HMI development. Yeah. And we have a customer already trying to adopt it. Uh, and uh, we recently, again, released with uh, BMW uh, a very interesting presentation about uh, their development practices of HMI in the cloud at the last AWS Summit in Berlin. So, and we can provide references, of course. It's a, it's a nice demonstration. That's right. And, uh, but it's not just to talk about always about BMW. For example, I can talk about the demo that we did at CS with Marelli. Uh, Marelli is a tier one, and they presented the first uh, cloud-native uh, HMI system in there, in, at our booth. And it's really nice, because there you see that we were developing an HMI application in cloud, and then deploying in Milan, so in Italy. Uh, there was an engineer doing that in cloud, and then deploying it in Vegas, in the booth, right? Again, you start with the cloud development, right. and then you deploy and customize on a specific hardware solution. Right. And that's really, really powerful. If you think about it, right. it's not just powerful, it's SDV. Yeah. Right? It's software-defined. Exactly. Otherwise, it's hardware-defined. If you start with the hardware, it's hardware-defined. If it's really software-defined, you have to start with the software and later on deploy. Exactly. Exactly. So you touched on so many things there, and I think I, I don't want to lose the point you mentioned about recalls. It's so we often hear um, a concern from OEMs who have a big software development burden, which is true, yes. saying, oh, it's too difficult to put in this software-defined vehicle feature. Mm -hmm. But when you think about a, a figure like you said, $40, $50 billion, and uh, many of those are mm -hmm. software-related, it would be crazy not to put in not the to capabilities yeah. to be able to address this because it doesn't yeah. take very much uh, investment to save possibly billions yes. of dollars. Yeah, we had a very nice episode uh, with, uh, of all things automotive, with Martin Stamm from Conti. I saw that. Where, yeah, you saw that, where you, he explains why it's like that, right? So traditionally, manufacturers, OEM, were uh, having the need to integrate a new functionality. It means, okay, we need to integrate one more ICU, and one more ICU, one more ICU, until you have 150. But if you think about the combinatorial effect of it, 
you will never test all the possible keys where you combine all these issues. That's why, and that's a good thing for the sector pushed by electrification and uh, other trends, the famous case, right? Connected, autonomous, uh, so uh, shared and electrified plus user experience. It's, uh, this consolidation is happening. And it's a blessing for the sector, to be honest, where uh, the problem is to transform the software that is in all this distributed system and uh, put it consolidated in, this, uh, in these consolidated units. But there's a but here, because it's very important not just to say, okay, you know what, now I have the software in this ECU, I will just take it and plop it in my consolidated unit. That's bloatware, you know, it's ready to explode. You have to re-architect the system because uh, the consolidated uh, unit is deeply different uh, from a single ECU that is cost-optimized and it's uh, really in terms of resources, the software there has been designed specifically for that almost custom hardware. So that's why we insist so much, and you are aware of it, right? All the work we did, for example, with, uh, with the Autoware Foundation on the OpenAD kit to take the software that, uh, in that case, autonomous driving, that is classically a monolithic, as we say, a monolith, and break it down in microservices, right? To re-architect it, to be supported by uh, hardware and software a platform that really calls for more modularity, more flexibility, uh, differential updates, right? Standardization of the interfaces. And uh, the, all these are super important concepts to re-architect the whole industry in the automotive. You know, and what you just mentioned is very uh, synergistic with the conversation we had with Robert Day recently about Sophie. And Sophie, and I know Amazon was a founding member of Sophie, yes. so you're very much a, a supporter of this. A lot of what that's trying to do is provide some of those standards, some of those consistent interfaces that you mentioned. Yes. But maybe that's a conversation for another yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's uh, such a, by the way, a rich conversation. I think uh, Sophie is a fantastic uh, initiative. And if you read the, the Sophie, is to provide an, a reference implementation based on open standards and open source. Oh my, we need so much open standards and open source in the, in the automotive sector, right? So that's why initiatives like Yocto, uh, Covisa, Eclipse SDV, so are very, Autosar are very, very important. And one of the very positive signs that we are noticing in Sophie is that we start to collaborate together, right? And we need to insist on that. Right, really, because uh, open standards are key. You don't compete on standards. Right. That's 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 a no, right? You compete when the standards are defined. You can start to innovate for the things that the customer really, really needs and wants. That is not a standard. Whoever is, oh, yeah, I'm buying this car because uh, this standard is perfectly implemented. Doesn't make sense, right? Exactly. It's about enabling the value-added differentiation. Absolutely on top of the standards, but use the standards as a foundation. It's a foundation. Share, share Again, foundation. it's another way to save costs, to optimize why you are spending to time and money to differentiate on a commodity feature, right? At this point, if you're enjoying the episode, I'd love to encourage you to like the episode and please subscribe to see more from us in the garage. We film episodes about every two weeks and we'd love to see you here again in another episode. So Stefano, we talked about so many different areas. I'd love to talk next about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and more generally data analytics, because yes. we talked about this incredible data lake that we gather. We talked about this compute capabilities and the specialty services you have and the specialty kinds of compute types and so on, yes. uh, and the importance of prototyping and so on. But this whole area of machine learning and analytics is perhaps one of the most compelling yes. 
combination of those things that can do something that's never been possible before. Absolutely. And uh, it's always uh, in the perspective of what we call the big loop, right? That's super important because uh, you, you hear, right, data scientists frequently saying that the data set is the most important thing in building the model in the right way, right? So in there, we always have that as a reference. So selecting the right data to be stored in the cloud. So we need to have a little bit of artificial intelligence in cars to discriminate what's relevant according to the situation, right? Maybe you had a heartbreak, so why? Or there's a combination of factors, or uh, there's uh, in-vehicle testing, we'll discuss about that super important feature right now. But anyway, when the data is selected, so a little bit of machine learning there that needs to be updated, right, itself. We send the data, we collect it, we clean it up, we organize, data lake, perfect. Then we use part of this data to, we annotate part of it, right? So we, our customers annotate it for their own purposes. We have tools to do that and uh, called the SageMaker Ground Truth. And then uh, we use, uh, when the tool is annotated, uh, we just uh, use it to train and validate the models. Here we have a variety of options. Uh, SageMaker is our platform uh, to do that. You can use, if you are really a deep specialist in machine learning, you can use basic frameworks like uh, PyTorch, for example, and uh, really go at the low level of it. Or you can use on the other side what we call AI services. Services that really like recognition, that uh, you just send an image and you get the uh, object list out of it, right? So uh, transcribes, AI services. So we have these three layers. When you are training your model through SageMaker, typically, you deploy it at the edge. But again, it's a big loop. So it's deployed, but it's not yet in production. It's there in, for in-vehicle testing. There's another version of that software that is currently in production. So the first phase is to analyze if this model has poorer or better performance in respect to the one that is in production, exposing it uh, to real conditions, potentially in a large number of vehicles out there, because we have a consolidated computer. So we have a little bit more juice where you can run additional you know, compute in there. Exactly as you said before, right? To, to do what? to find for the special cases out there, the, the edge cases, as they're called, that uh, it's impossible to just imagine them in an abstract way. Right. You really need to have the cars and a lot of cars out there to obtain a validation of the performance of, of a machine learning model. And when you are assessing that, and if you assess that the model is better, there's no regression, you switch it and you put it in production and the loop continues, right? on a larger and larger amount of vehicle, right? So you see how machine learning is not just a magic way to train, but it's really this intelligent loop. And it's very important to define the workflows. And uh, we have a lot of tools to manage these workflows. Some of them are in SageMaker itself. Some others, for example, for data management, uh, are uh, uh, we have uh, a, an implementation and managed implementation of Airflow. It's called Managed Workflow with Apache Airflow. And uh, we use that really to compose all these uh, workflows, right? I used that in my previous in my previous job, Airflow. It's a very powerful tool to compose these kind of pipelines, right? And that's very, very important part of it. All this, frequently our customers use it in so-called workbenches, right? More and more our customers are asking us to enter a space in a browser where they can find their tools 
These tools can be data pipelines, can be workflows, can be machine learning related, data access to the data lake, access to sectorial tools. Very recently, for example, we presented uh, at the DSpace event, a collaboration with DSpace, with Matworks event, a collaboration with Matworks. So you may find those tools there in that space, right? And so have uh, the possibility to be very focused, have a uniformity of this environment, global distribution of this environment, global access of these environments, integration, and the possibility to create automations, right? We recently, our CEO recently posted on LinkedIn that using this approach, Toyota saved $10 million a year. It's not bad, right? Just to get the tools organized and presented through a common interface with the possibility to create automations out of it. What I think is interesting about what you said is that there's different parts to it. There's starting with the data, the raw data. Yeah. It's having the ability to model and tune and improve the models. And then once you have that in the cloud, yes. all these different tools and modules that can connect together to do then post-processing, post-analytics, and there's many different kinds. So that whole loop, yes. I think, is really important. Absolutely, yes. And uh, that's why, for example, we organized it uh, and make it public in, uh, through uh, our autonomous driving data framework that is an open source initiative to try to put in the hands of our customer open source reference to create this kind of uh, constructs and workflows. And uh, yeah, our customers uh, honestly are adopting uh, most of these tools exactly this way in a perspective of a workflow. Customers like Toyota that uses, for example, our B instances, just to reconnect to our computer experience and discussion, right? To train their model in AWS. But again, it's not just a, a single isolated activity. That's just a, a part of a workflow. And that's very important to be taken into account. Maybe it's now is a perfect time to shift over to the last of our topics, which is ADAS and autonomous driving is an area where we worked on for several years yes. together and, and uh, we have a lot of experience. Let's talk about how the cloud is, is important, I would say integral yes. to the evolution of ADAS and also the potential of this journey that we're all on towards autonomous, which yes. is quite a long journey, but, um, but we're making strides. Uh, absolutely, and again, I'm very passionate and I already, we, we started our discussion on this point. I'm very passionate about uh, providing an incremental approach to autonomous driving, autonomous features, autonomy in general of vehicles, right? Because there's a huge value that you can have now with ADA system. Let's say L2, L3, as they are called, level two, level three. And this is very important because first of all, they save lives. It's simple like that, right? So, and uh, we recently, uh, recently tested the car with uh, last generation ADAS, and uh, it's fantastic. It's a car that really has systems to do automatic emergency braking, for example. If you are distracted and there's an obstacle, the car brakes. Same simple, but if it works, it saves lives. So it's a super important part to me. And more and more I'm convinced that autonomy, in, uh, it will be a collection of these functions that will be progressively automated. Right. So it's important to think about an addition, right, an incremental of functionality that will be automated in the vehicles. That's my perspective about it. And uh, the way we do in cloud, again, using everything we discussed, essentially, the variety of compute options, uh, the possibility to have these data lakes, constructs of data lakes, and uh, machine learning tools. Those are the basic things that are needed for ADAS and autonomous vehicle development. There's another aspect, uh, compute options, again, for two reasons that are specific to ADAS, very, very important. That is, uh, 
you have frequently, you collect data from the field and you store the data in S3 in the data lake, and then you use it for validation, right? So you typically replay the data collected from vehicles in your algorithms under development to assess the, the fact that they are better or worse than, <laughs> than the previous one and previous generation. Or you use compute to do synthetic simulation on the other side. So you have, uh, we have a wonderful use case with uh, Valeo that we presented uh, in the failed CES due to COVID, unfortunately, where nobody went. <laughs> but we prepared this awesome demo that is, uh, there's a video on YouTube. You can uh, put the link, of course, where you see Valeo using uh, uh, two technologies. One was IPG CarMaker and the other for Atelix to you know, multiply the scenarios of a synthetic, uh, through synthetic simulation, multiplying it to thousands of different variants of the scenario on AWS, because you have the scalability, you have elasticity in compute, you have availability of compute, and then try to really to cover all these edge cases, right? To explore if there's something missing in our analysis, essentially, right? and try to capture, to shift left, if you will, yeah. exactly as we discussed, the resolution of this problem before the software hits the vehicles themselves, right? So it's, uh, again, it's a matter of composing these workflows again. And uh, in AWS, we have all the tools to, to enable our customers to do that. And if not, <laughs> we are happy to work with our customers to create them. Absolutely, and I think it a lot of people, I think, might think that the autonomous driving task is a monolithic task. But yes. in fact, there are many, yes. many subtasks. I like to joke that there's the bicycle recognition task and, yes. and the lane keeping. But, but all joking aside, there are many different, you yes. have to decompose this very, now the way we drive, we just we drive and that's it. But actually, the way ML and the way artificial intelligence does yes. is it decomposes into different parts of it. And what you mentioned a minute ago, I think is very interesting because if, when you think about training, you know, and you think about driving as a person, you know, most of the time it's quite boring. You know, you just keep going straight and it's yeah, boring. Yeah, but what's difficult and the things you have to practice for is the, well, there may be a sharp curve or yes. there's some obstacle. But what you mentioned is so interesting is you can accelerate the edge cases yes. to have, give me lots and lots of edge cases to help the model learn yes. much more quickly than you could in a real driving Absolutely. scenario. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. That's uh, totally true. And that's why, for example, as we discussed, microservices are important in this perspective because you, maybe you want to just uh, swap out the perception model but leave the rest as it is, right? So to have different teams with different skills working on their small piece, right? So that's a super important part, recognizing the different personas that are in the ADAS or autonomous vehicle development, super important part, right? So totally, it's a complex scenario. But again, we have good good references in there. Again, uh, the case I was describing with Continental was ADAS, ADAS development, and you really see how they gained in terms of uh, saving time, saving cost, and agility when adopting a cloud-native approach, right? That was intention of this catch right, exercise that we developed with them. That was, by the way, in a software-defined vehicle experience as well. So that's uh, it's really a great reference. Uh, our collaboration with Conti is really where we started to think about most of this construct. So it's really great collaboration. To wrap up our conversation, I thought we might take a minute to talk about some of the areas that Sonatas and AWS are working together. 
Yeah, with pleasure. Because again, here in the garage, I saw some amazing demos. Thank you so much for that, by the way, to showing them. And it's just amazing, right? Some of the features I saw about, uh, for example, controlling the logic of the vehicle and deploy new logic according to new situation are exactly in line with what we discussed in terms of SDV, big loop update. So you really see that happening. So that's uh, really fantastic to see. And uh, yeah, it's great collaboration. So it's not, uh, and it's a perfect example you see, it's not, you're not just sending data or collecting data. You start to implement this view of a data plane. Yes, we need to collect data, but for the control plane as well. So the possibility to manage uh, this micrologic from cloud to edge and back. You have to have some of this micrologic, maybe some machine learning at the edge, and you need to exercise some of this micrologic or machine learning in the cloud. And uh, if you think about consolidation, if you think about ARM cores, you know, it's a system that we say it's a continuum between the cloud to edge. And I think you're really doing a great job in uh, implementing this vision in, uh, with your services and products. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And we talked earlier about data, you know, our collector product is yes. very highly optimized. It, it gathers tuned, carefully selected data, high value data, attentive to the cloud, and we're working with you on that. And then the Automator product you just mentioned that we recently launched is, uh, allows us to take that uh, idea of smart data, but then to take actions, whether yes. that's actions inside the vehicle, actions outside the vehicle. And we, we didn't really touch on, um, on the vehicle testing, but the vehicle testing problem is also getting a lot more yes. complicated. And so we're excited to be able to use that in new ways to, for example, improve the production workflow, yes. as well as providing better downstream services. Uh, you mentioned connected vehicle before, yes. downstream capabilities to the user, uh, and even to value-added service yes. providers down the, down the field. Yes, and that's absolutely interesting. And it's another super good point I saw, because uh, you're doing it on real ECUs. And believe me, it's a huge difference, because I always saying, uh, you know, you've got to think that when you are developing a new software components or a hardware component for the automotive, it's 50% uh, is development, 50% is VNV. In the case of ADAS AV, I think, let's do some assumption. ADAS, I think it's 2080 20, probably. <laughs> In AV, it's uh, 199, right? So, because really VNV, and, and you see that when I see, when you start to see code running in real ECUs, it's different. Right? It's not just anymore a prototype on your desk based on an evaluation kit, but it's something that goes in million vehicle, two million vehicle, 10 million vehicle, so it, and it makes the whole difference. You're right, and it's we're so pleased to be in, you know, by this year we'll be in dozens of models and by the end of next year, millions of vehicles. So it's, it's exciting to see this is not a prototype, it's not a science project, yes. but it's real production. And you learn a lot from real yes. production where the, you know, the rubber meets the road, yes. as it were. Absolutely. Uh, it makes it a lot harder. Yeah, and uh, whoever is in the automotive recognizes even the effort to be compliant with the regulations. That's a big part of this industry, right? So you can just deploy code as you are deploying in a phone, right? It's not a consumer device in the sense of it's a regulated product. You have a functional safety, you have cybersecurity, and those are aspects that are uh, paramount and really important for us. It's a top priority, priority zero. Yeah, there's so many things we've touched on today. I, I we have like many different hour-long conversations on just different subtopics yes, we've talked absolutely. about, but we're going to have to bring it to a close today. So first, I want to thank you so much for being here, Stefano. It's been my pleasure to have you, and uh, I've, I've learned so much in today's conversation, and I always enjoy talking with you, and hope you'll come back and see us again soon. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I learned a lot myself, so fantastic. Thanks, Stefano.
This concludes part two of our two-part series on cloud computing for automotive with our special guest, Stefano Marzani from AWS. Across the two parts, we covered five topics around cloud computing. Data, compute, prototyping, data analytics and AI, and finally, ADAS and Autonomous. If you missed part one, you can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying The Garage, we encourage you to like the episode and subscribe so you can see another episode again very soon. Thanks very much.